Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The precious Word of God, inspired by chosen men, filled with the Holy Ghost, Amen. to give us absolute and final truth right. about an incomprehensible, infinite, unknown subject like the being and attributes of our glorious God. How great is this subject? It has no fear. Everything, spiritually precious even, should be subordinate to it. We are not considering the delight that we ought to have in Scripture, and we should. Last Sunday, I think, was just preaching to you about how much value we should put in the Word of God. We're not talking about our delight in the truth. Our delight in the church, even if it's the church of God, as it's described in the Bible, nor in salvation, nor in heaven, but in God Himself. Amen. In God Himself. Amen. So much so is this true that it's the greatest of subjects. Even the man Christ Jesus, our glorified Redeemer, exists for God's glory. Right, right. And I do Him. Know your reverence or disrespect. He knew that his whole life was to please his Father in heaven. Right. And he fulfilled Amen. his purpose. I turn you to 1 Corinthians 15 because I want to support that statement which sounds near dangerous about the Lord Jesus Christ. But when I refer to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm referring to the man Christ Jesus, our Redeemer, born of a virgin, in Bethlehem, I'm referring to the God-man. I am not referring to the Word of God. I'm referring to the Word of God made flesh. Right. Manifest in the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, let me read to you several verses here. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, Jesus is going to deliver up the kingdom to the one that truly owns it, and that's God, even the Father. Right. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. That is, God has put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ. That's right. But when he saith, all things are put under him, it is manifest. It should be obvious and plain to you that he is accepted. He is an exception to this rule, which did put all things under him. God is not under the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be obvious to you. It's manifest. Verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Amen. Amen. And that's a lesson in theology, where the Lord Jesus Christ be sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he rules over the entire universe, and you've heard me say that countless times. He rules the pinnacle of the universe, but whenever I say that, it is manifest that God 
who put all things under him is accepted from that rule. Right. It's ex he's accepted from that rule of the universe be that God might be all in all. And I don't want to get waylaid by that subject. You should understand that by now, that when I'm referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we read a passage like this, it must include His humanity as our Redeemer. Right. This is not the Word of God being subject to God. This is Jesus of Nazareth being subject to God. Jesus of Nazareth is a man in heaven, and you will see Him with your eyes. Amen. You shall behold Him. You will see your Redeemer Amen. with your own glorified eyes. Amen. But you will not see God. You will never see God. Right. God cannot be seen. He is too much for us. He is a spirit. Jesus Christ has a body. He took on him our nature. And so we must keep these things straight. I do the Lord Jesus Christ no disservice. Right. He is my King and my Lord. He is King of kings and Lord of lords in his own right. He is the Prince of the kings of the earth. But he's going to be in subjection to God for eternity. Right. In his human nature as our Redeemer. Right. The best use of your life and the best exercise of your mind is to meditate and delight in God himself. Right. What better use is there of a life? That's why you were created. For him. Right. All things for his pleasure. Your mind. You get challenged by some of the stuff you're working on, some of the stuff you're learning. Are you kidding? You know, when you die, nobody cares. Right. But there's a God that cares yeah. about learning about Him. And I've learned a little bit in my life that God doesn't care about it either. I mean, sometimes we have to learn things for our professions. We have to learn things for other reasons. But let's think about where can we exercise our mind the best. And that's in the Lord Himself. Right. The best days and times of my life have been when I've been most involved and most transported by this subject for my late teenage years. And I thank God for them. And I fear that sometimes too much busyness and no business is as important. No business is as important as God Himself has distracted me. The best days and times of my life. And when I've been the farthest from Him, and He's been the least of my pursuits, the most miserable days, the most miserable nights, nothing satisfies. Nothing brings real, lasting joy or pleasure. True and ultimate happiness for those made in God's image is only by the enjoyment of God Himself. Oh, and that should excite us. He's noble. He's approachable. Right. He's written about himself. Second time. When you read Job 38 and 39 last night, yes. did you like that? Yes. God's asking you questions. Right. I love the song we just sang, Who? And yeah. all those questions that were there from that woman Amen. that Danielle Tamian knows that offered that song. Right. Who flung the stars out into space? The work of his fingers. Amen. He knows them by name. He's infinite in wisdom and understanding. And we want to glory in Him. Right. What a, what a subject to enjoy. Plumbing the depths of. You know, it, it's such a... There's fantasy leagues now in every professional sport. Don't learn about it. But you know, they, they want to learn about all the stats of different athletes. 
You know, then there's guys that want to learn about the stats of a car. You know, how many cubic inches or centimeters, horsepower, torque, each gear, gear ratios, <laughs> RPMs necessary to max torque, and all that worthless. But they'll memorize it, and they'll put pictures of it up. Now, we're not going to make pictures of God because what picture would you use? And that's why the Lord said, no graven images. Right. I never gave Moses anything to see that right. was even close to, to representing me. He communicated by words. And so sometimes he's got feathers. My God has no feathers. Right. My God has no wings. But he bears me by eagle wings at times. When I can't bear myself. I hope you all understand those things that are in the Bible. Right. He uses all these different words for us. Because he wants us to use words. Because he knows our temptation is we would make an idol. We would make a picture and we would fall down and cross ourselves to it like so much of the Christian world does. He's the origin. He's the source. He's the disposer, the means, the preserver, and the end of all things. You miss him, you waste your life. Because he is everything. He's all in all. We can't miss him. We can't neglect him. We want to serve him with all our might, with all our affection, and with as much attention as we can devote to him while still living in this world, and he knows that. How much pleasure do you get from God? How much pleasure do you get from God? Right. Well, I like it when he gives me cool stuff. I didn't say anything like that. Right. You're really twisted. Because that's not what we're talking about. How much pleasure do you get from God? <clears throat> Knowing Him. Thinking about Him. Talking to Him. Hearing Him. Do you hear Him in the rustling grass? Amen. Do you see Him? He's everywhere. Amen. Listen, do you know why you're cool right now? And why it's dehumidified in here? Dehumidification. And the chilling of air. Is by the God of heaven. Right. Our Father gave us privileges to worship Him that our fathers in the faith never had. Because He caused some little boy, some little woman, to be conceived, raised up, always thinking out, off the envelope, outside the box, didn't like school because no one knew what they were talking about, learned things on his own, and found a gas called Freon. And for those of you that know more about it than I do, just write me a respectful email. <laughs> and an invention of a gas. And then how to put that to work. So, you know, some men are troubled in life. Until they invent a light bulb, they are not happy with themselves. They can't go to school. They are misfits. They don't get along with anyone. I'm referring to Thomas Edison, and he is not the inventor of Freon. However, Freon and the use of it to be able to give us what we have in this room right now mm -hmm. is a blessing. Now, how do you look at it? See, I can go to Isaiah 28, the last five verses, and it tells me that every grain that God created is to be is to be is to be planted and taken care of and harvested and processed a different way to get food out of it. Right. And God just gave that to Adam. Yeah. Adam didn't go to school to name all the animals. He didn't need to go to school, and he didn't need to go to bakery school to figure out how to bake bread. God gave him that. 
And at various times in life, you know, God gave a man, Bernelli, the principle that the air moving over the top of the wing is going to lift you to New Zealand, Jerry. It is not the air under the wing. It's the faster movement of the air over the curved portion of the top of that wing that lifts a plane and lifts it so sturdily that that plane can be loaded and there's only a few square feet of wingspan for the pounds that a plane can carry and all of its own fuel to get itself across the Pacific. That's incredible. But there was a child conceived by the God of heaven that said... This is the truth of God's Word. Because known unto God are all His works from the foundation of the world. I am going to have a lonely sentinel, a lonely sentry in New Zealand that needs a visit, and we can arrange it so easily. The other side of the earth. Do you know that it took Paul months to cross the Mediterranean Sea, and that's about the size of Lake Hartwell? I speak as a fool, but listen. The Mediterranean Sea is not the Pacific Ocean. The rain that collects, I don't even want to say it. We are blessed abundantly. And His his hand is everywhere. Everywhere. You be thinking about that when you look out that window. It's the air on top pulling me up and holding me up. And you be thankful for it. (laughs) I've been thankful for it on those three trips over the Pacific. I just want us, where where do you see him? Are the greens greener and the blues bluer? The sun, when when you feel it, that radiant heat. You know, what if if it was all forced air? I like radiant heat sometimes. That's a fireplace. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's when you sit in front of the fireplace and feel it on your body. That's what the sun gives you. You know, the Lord could have piped. We could have had HVAC. Movement of air. But no, we have radiant heat, and it's wonderful, and he gets all the glory for it. And he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. He has six verses that I've already read to you about that sun. This is no dead topic. Some would say theology. Theology is the science of God. Theology is simply the science of God, the knowledge of God. What a dry subject. What a boring subject. What a dead topic. It's the liveliest in the Bible because we're studying the one true life. We're studying the source of life. We're studying the end of life. We're studying the sustaining of life. We're the saving of life. It's all in the Lord. It's dry. Oh, no, it's not. It's the marrow of doctrine. It's full of fatness. It's full of goodness that the Lord's given us. There's Bible principles showing that it's important for us to know God and to learn His attributes. Look at Colossians 1 and verse 10. Turn with me to a few pages of Scripture here in this sermon as we consider the emphasis that the Bible makes on knowing Him. The knowledge of God is what we're looking for. That's theology. The science or knowledge of God. The word science just means knowledge. It's used in our Bibles. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. And Paul warned Timothy not, not to be led away with science falsely so-called. Right. Because they don't really know what they're talking about when they tell us that the water on earth came from asteroids hitting the earth. See, we know what holds atoms together. And their protons, electrons, neutrons, and other parts, and how they relate to each other because the Bible tells us. And I already mentioned it to you before. 
It's in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. This is Paul's prayer for the Colossian saints. That the last part of verse 9 is that, it, that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is a theme throughout the Bible, increasing in the knowledge of God. This morning, Psalm 46, 10, Be still and know that I am God. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Look at chapter 2. Paul continues to say what his earnest desire is for the saints. 2-2 of Colossians that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches, all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now that sounds too lofty for us to reach, but if it's in the Bible, and it's something Paul prayed for the saints, we can achieve it. And we're going to go after it by making ourselves open to the Lord, by asking Him to reveal Himself more fully to us, and we're going to pray for it, and we're going to seek Him in the pages of Scripture, and we're going to walk in the Spirit, and He will reveal Himself to us. Walking with God. You know, when we say the expression, Noah walked with God. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There's two, there's two parts of that relationship we can look at. The walking and the God. And what I want to do in this series of messages is to look at the God part of the walking. You know, there's other times when we've talked about the walk, the five inputs and how they can mess up a Christian's life because we want to walk in a way that pleases Him. But we want to walk to know Him, walking with God. It's who we're with that we want to give the right emphasis to. If we don't give the right emphasis to the person of our walking, and we put the emphasis on our walking, we're trying to do something in the flesh without the divine enablement of Him drawing nigh to us. We will not achieve being filled with all the fullness of God because God has to do it. And we want Him to be the emphasis of that. When I look at Psalm 37, 4, and it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee, that that He shall give is a is a blessing, and that's, that's very wonderful, and it's part of Scripture, but it says, delight thyself also in the Lord. And I want to emphasize that part of it, not the getting, but what can we give, what can we do? Right. I know that delight is pleasant, and you know that delight is pleasant. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. When you smell something real good, and it might be perfume, it might be coffee in the morning, it might be a steak, It might be hickory coals. There's precious smells. The way that smell affects you very quickly, the Bible says that about God. It should have... How can... I can't see it. You can't grab a scent in the air. It comes in here and lands on some nerves, and it's communicated to you. Can it lift your spirit? Can a good smell change you? The Lord... Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So does a man's friend by hearty counsel. Well, what about the Lord's counsel? What about walking with the Lord? That is the emphasis. I want us to 
be thinking about this week. We have, a, we have another week the Lord's given to us to live if He gives it to us. And if He gives it to us, let's see Him everywhere. Let's walk with Him. Let's, we have to walk righteously because He is light and He walks in the light. And if we walk in the light, we can have fellowship with Him. But let's look at the light and put our focus there. Look at Psalm 9. Psalm 9. If you love the Word of God, you shouldn't mind turning its pages. He wrote it. It's about Him. Jesus would say, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. Those 21 chapters I gave you earlier today, I hope you'll consider reading them. They are full of God boasting of His greatness in a glorious way because Israel was trying Him by worshiping idols. Can you imagine? No wonder he says what he says about them having a lie in their right hand and they won't let go of it. No wonder he says they that worship them are like unto their idols. They have eyes, but they see not. Because the all-seeing eyes of God, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, and the eyes of an idol have never seen anything. They were fashioned by a man who can barely see himself and probably had to have glasses to finish the job. And there's imperfections all over it. So he boasts of himself to try to get their attention. I look for another God, but there is none. Bring your, bring your strong reasons to me, he says, and I'll show you that there's only one that can declare things not yet done as if they were. He can violate verb tenses because he's greater than language. Simple little verse. Psalm 9, verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Hegion, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. That's what the Lord says about those that forget him. Do you know what it says in Romans 1.28? Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. The creation leaves them without excuse. He showed them about himself. But they didn't like to retain that. They didn't like keeping that. So they started worshiping idols. And that's when he rewired them. Retention. You're going to walk out of here in just a few minutes. We're going to separate from each other. Are we going to retain the knowledge of God? Are we going to like to retain it? Are we going to want to retain it? Or is it not important enough? You are playing with the most dangerous subject in the universe of what you think of the knowledge of God and how you respond to it. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I wanted the first clause of verse 16 primarily, though, where it says, The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. When you read the book of Esther, where it doesn't even tell us about the Lord, except you see him on every page in every chapter, in his providential dealings with Esther, Mordecai, and Haman. How did Haman die? Haman was fell off a gallows, Whose gallows? And where were the gallows? His own and in his backyard. And, and who joined him? 
Oh, there were 11 of them dangling. And who were the gallows built for? And who built the gallows? Haman. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. Amen. Praise his glorious name. Amen. The Jews said his blood be on us and on our children. Amen. They had crucified the Son of God. I think even God couldn't sink the Titanic, or better words, than his blood be on us and on our children at the crucifixion of the Lord of glory. Had God thundered from heaven with many witnesses, this is my beloved son, and they crucified him and said, his blood be on us, when Pilate said, I am free from the blood of this man. His blood was on them and their children. The Lord is known with a judgment. So see, there's these verses in the Bible, and there's so many of them. I'm just giving you a little statistical sampling of them. There's these verses in the Bible that tell us how the Lord is known, that we should know the Lord, that Paul would pray for disciples to know the Lord better, that the Ephesian saints might be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal the love of Christ for them until they were filled with all the fullness of God. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Our purpose for turning to this passage is because this passage describes what God is going to do to those that do not know God. Do you want to put yourself in a different category? Then know Him, love Him, seek Him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 tells us, beginning in the middle, because this is a long sentence, and we're starting in the middle. With the word when, in the middle of seven, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints." What a difference being made there. There's one group that are going to, he's, God is going to glorify himself in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, who shall see the glory of his power and who shall enjoy the presence of the Lord, but these others will be punished with everlasting destruction. And the characteristic given of them is they know not God and they obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to know God is the point because here's, that warning, the Lord gives us a reward. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. He'll give the desires of His heart to those that delight in Him. What a contrast between those that know the Lord and those that don't know the Lord. And you're going to go out of here today. What in your life? Now, there are necess- necessary things we've got to do, and I've got to do them as well. And even though my necessary things or most of them have to do with God, they are not the same as me walking, talking, loving, enjoying the personal presence of God. It's just work. It's good work, but it's just work. But when we go out of here, what's going to pull us away that's not a a necessity from knowing Him? 21 chapters. One chapter a day over the next three weeks. Three chapters a day. Do them in one week and then do them three times. Wonderful chapters. Lift yourself up in the Lord by His Word. 
That's what I fear. Look at Hosea chapter 4. Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Hosea chapter 4. Listen to these words. Hear the word of the Lord in verse 1. Hosea 4, 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Hosea 4, 1. Look at verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Look at chapter 6 of the same prophet. And verse 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. God is not impressed by that outward ceremonial ritual performance of religious duties by coming into his house and going through the motions even if it costs you money. Because he says here, the knowledge of God is more important in verse 6 than burnt offerings. Even under the Old Testament, that to know God and to know the mercy that he delights in and to show that to others is very pleasing to him. Theology is pretty much ignored today. And I don't mean Catholic theology and I don't mean John Kelvin theology necessarily, though I will tell you that John Kelvin certainly understood the being and attributes of God better than Roman Catholic apologists and theologians. But it's lacking today. You know, to find a church where they're going to preach theology for, for a number of weeks or the science of God is very rare. Joel Osteen is not going to preach on the theology of God today. He's going to preach on how much God wants you to be happy. And I want to preach to you the God that is happy wants your praise and worship as part of his happiness by manifesting himself to us. You know, there's Bible examples. Is there a man that said, Who is the Lord? I know not the Lord. Is there a man who said that? Pharaoh. He met the Lord. Israel's generation after Joshua died, you know what it says of them? They didn't know the Lord. God leading Joshua and that generation, remember that generation watched their moms and dads all die in the wilderness. And that generation made it into the land of Canaan. And then as soon as that generation died, the next generation that didn't know the Lord, that older generation had failed to teach the younger generation about God. And every one of you with children, every day that you have with them is a privilege granted by the God of heaven and it is a short privilege you think that it's a long privilege because you're looking at the front end of it. Those of us on the other end of it know that it is so incredibly short. And if we could turn back time, we would go back to tell our children more about the God of heaven. Don't you dare lose a day. It goes so fast. What a privilege to tell children about the fear of the Lord, like we heard from Psalm 145, from one generation to another. What did Hezekiah say he was going to use his 15 years for? The father to the children will declare thy truth. That's how I'll use my time if you'll give me more life. 
Every parent should be saying that. Moses and Paul, both of them wanted to know God and to see His glory. Did Moses beg for God to show him His glory in the book of Exodus? And the Lord said, no one can see my glory. If you won't show me your glory, then I can't go any further. No, he wasn't, he wasn't sacrilegious. He was pushing it a little bit. But what, what was his motive? Was his motive some personal glory? No, his motive was the glory of God. When Elisha asked for twice the Spirit, did he get twice the Spirit? Did Moses get to see the glory of God? Yes. The Lord said, I'm going to hide you in a secure place, and I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to put my hands over you, and I'm just going to show you my backsides. It's the way the Lord expresses things. Because Moses couldn't have handled the full load. Moses couldn't have handled a major part of the load. That's why the Bible says in the book of Job, these are only parts of his ways. Now, we, we look at Job and we say, that's a lot of his ways. These are parts of his ways. And they're small parts at that. But Moses did. Did Paul say, I count all things but dung that I might know Christ, he says in Philippians chapter 3. And so there Moses and Paul show us this. Paul knew God and, and loved to glorify him. Look at how Romans chapter 11 ends. Romans chapter 11. Several epistles are like this, divided so distinctly in the middle by the Apostle Paul where he actually puts an amen closing one section of the epistle before he opens up the next one. And Romans is one. Look at how he comes to the conclusion of 11 chapters describing God's mercy in saving the elect. Romans 11.33 Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and and knowledge of God. Is there an exclamation point in your Bibles? There should be. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Is there another one? For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him... And through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. That's in the middle of a letter from Paul to the church at Rome. Look at those words. Who's been His counselor? His name is, I am that I am. I am that I am. No one has counseled me. No one has told me how to do anything. No one has added to my wisdom. No one has instructed me. I never wrote a learning curve. I am. The present tense covers eternity for me. I am from everlasting to everlasting. I am that I am. Who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed to him again. God owes man nothing. He is independent. He is infinite. He is eternal. He's immutable. He's I am that I am. Are you like the Apostle Paul? Because this is how the Apostle Paul, from time to time, bursts forth in praise to the glory of God. The exclamation points, the words, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom and knowledge of God, the unsearchableness of His judgments, His ways are past finding out. He can't be plumbed for depth. He can't be covered for breadth. He's the infinite God. Lord, we thank You that we know You. 
And thank you for putting expressions like this in the Bible of superlatives. Because thou art the holy and the one and only superlative. He's all in all. Glory. And we know such a little part of him. And we'll never know all of him. But what a challenge for eternity as he discloses more and more of the treasures of his wisdom and knowledge to us when we're in heaven. Look at 1 Timothy 1.17. 1 Timothy 1.17. Here's, here's Paul writing Timothy. This is one man to one man. He tells him in verse 3, where he wanted Timothy to stay and what he was about to do and that there were some false doctrines out there and how he should look at those false doctrines of men corrupting the law of God. He gives his testimony starting in verses 11 and 12 and he's explaining his testimony and then he just gets to verse 17 and he says, Now unto the King Eternal. After having given his testimony, and this is the effect all of us being saved should have on us. Before I was 18 or 19, I didn't know or love him like I described to you earlier in wanting to share passages of Scripture about him. And I'm thankful that he saved me to know him. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This charge I committed to thee, son Timothy, and he goes right back to writing his letter to Timothy. The reason I'm doing this is I want to show the emphasis, and I'm just giving you a a small tithe, because that's all we're going to have time for over several weeks. I'm going to show you his attributes. We are going to look at God and delight in him, and we are going to see him as far as the Holy Spirit will take us by the word of God. But I want you to see the emphasis on knowing him. I want you to look at a man like Paul that when he's writing a personal letter just has to say something like verse 17 right in the middle of it and put an amen there. Because he wanted, this is truth, what I just told you, Timothy. Stop and think about this truth. I showed you this a few months ago from Revelation chapter 1 in a sermon that I enjoyed preaching to you very much about John and the Lord Jesus opening up the book of Revelation with such praise to the glory of God. Look at Psalm 42. Just a few more minutes. The issue is what you're going to do when you leave here. I've tried to be faithful while you're here. Are you going to be faithful and am I going to be faithful when we all leave here? Psalm 42 and verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Next Psalm, verse 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, 
my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. There's David. There's Paul. I mentioned Moses. Do you know him? Do you get pleasure from him? Do you want to seek him? Draw nigh to God? He shouldn't. He shouldn't get near this place. With articles like that, with lives like mine, he shouldn't get near this place. But if we draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to us. Not only is he an approachable God, he is an approaching God. But do you know what falls in that equation? We don't draw nigh to him. We're too busy. We're too infatuated with foolish things. We're too habitually driven in our use of time, habits, instead of making time to know you. Lord, if you were to get up tomorrow morning and tell him that you're hungering and thirsting after him, and will he please come to you and reveal himself through his word, reveal himself to you by his spirit, reveal himself to you by his providence, his creation, Bless and praise Him for it. But you draw nigh to Him. Take one of those 21 chapters. Take Psalm 42, 43. Take 2 Thessalonians 1. It doesn't matter. Just go and tell the Lord, I'm in your word because I want to know you. I don't want to leave the tabernacle like others do. I want to be like Joshua, the young man, the son of Nun, who when Moses went back into the congregation of Israel, he stayed right there in that tabernacle because he did not want to leave the presence of God. Psalm 84 has the same language. Psalm 84, verse 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! Exclamation point. Amiable, lovely, delightful. Pleasant. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts, where God is worshipped. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. That's all you need to say. Just say it to him. Take the time to get down on your knees, confess your sins, and read that to him. And then read it again to him. And tell him that you mean that. And to the degree that you don't mean it yet, you hope that by his spirit he will help you mean it as much as David ever meant it. This is not complicated. This isn't rocket science. It's getting out of our flesh and out of this world and rejecting all that's going on to take a little bit of time to pursue the Lord. In trouble, David encouraged himself in the Lord. When he was delivered from all trouble and was sitting at peace in his home thinking of retirement, he said, I need to build him a house exceeding magnifical. David was a sinner. When he was chased out of Jerusalem by Absalom for his sin with Bathsheba, Zadok brought the Ark of the Covenant out. 
and said, I'll take this with us. No. You take it back in there. And if the Lord has delighted me, I'll be worshiping him soon again in his house. And you know what happened. That enemy that did not fear God was dangling in an oak tree by his hair. And he met the wrong man that day that wasn't going to obey the king on that day and thrust him through with darts. Acquaint now thyself, each one of you, with him, Jehovah of the Bible, and be at peace. Don't let the good things distract you. Don't let the bad things frustrate you. You have God. Everything is good. Thereby, good shall come to thee. He'll take care of us. There's going to be disappointments in this life because this life is full of sin. There's going to be disappointments in this world. But with God, those disappointments fade into nothing. And we're going to spend eternity with Him. Good shall come to us in this world and the next. He's going to glorify Himself in us, and we're going to admire Him for eternity. I haven't made very much progress today, and I'm sorry about that. One point is important that you individually are going to draw nigh to him because I know what he will do. If you confess your sins because he walks in the light so that you're in the light, the light refers to the glory and holiness and righteousness of God of 1 John chapter 1. You can have fellowship with him if you'll confess your sins and then take some time. He knows the needs of your schooling. He knows the needs of your job. He knows the needs of fixing food. He knows the needs of transportation. He knows all that. But you know, and I know, that we can give him some more time to know him, and he will come to us, and he will reveal himself. And I do have to have one more verse, and it's Jeremiah 29, 13. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13. And this is the favorite verse in the whole Bible of the converted Jesuit named Tim that you all know. He went to a Jesuit university, so I call him a Jesuit. A converted Jesuit. Jeremiah 29, 13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.